Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Let us now give our attention to the reading and to the hearing of God's holy and inspired word. And Jesus said also unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig to beg. I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, that may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him, and said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, and sit down quickly, and write fifty. And he said to another, How much owest thou? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, and write for score. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation, generation wiser than the children of light. And I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one, love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we give thee thanks this morning for thy word. We thank you that you have given us instruction and understanding of these things. And we do pray this morning that you would open our ears and our hearts that we might receive all that you would have for us. And we pray that we would be faithful stewards of that which you have entrusted to us as we come to understand this portion of Scripture. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as we look at this passage this morning, and if you're following the outline, we're just going to follow a simple, simple outline of this passage. You're going to look at the occasion for this parable, the lesson of the parable, and then the application of the parable. This parable is perhaps one of the most difficult ones 
in all of the Gospels. Many scholars, many commentators are divided over a number of things related to how we understand this parable. Some see this parable as very complex, that there's layer upon layer of understanding of this parable. But as I've said before, we need to be very cautious in interpreting any parable beyond what Jesus is teaching. There's a tendency for people to find all kinds of esoteric hidden messages within parables, and I think that's where the danger lies. And so as we come to this passage this morning, um, this has been entitled the parable of the unjust steward, um, as with the parable of the prodigal son. Those are things that have been put into the English translations. I'm not sure that they're always accurate, and certainly it is not accurate, perhaps, of what we find here in the passage before us. But I think it's helpful for us to see uh, the importance of this in the context of what Jesus has already stated. Do you remember that opening purpose statement in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4? why Luke is writing this. We have not touched on this since the introduction, which was last year sometime or whenever we started the Gospel of Luke. But there he says he's writing an orderly account concerning Jesus. Luke is writing as an eyewitness. He's not writing uh, as a historical dialogue. He's simple, and it's not that it's not historical, but that is not his intent. His intent is to write as an eyewitness account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And he is writing that in a chronological way. And so when you follow the flow of Luke's account of the gospel, there's a reason for why things come within the context of where they lie within the passage. Some will suppose that chapter 16 is just randomly there that doesn't have any connection with anything else. But that's not how Luke writes. Luke doesn't write like 21st century writers. Everything is just disconnected and has no meaning. But he writes a chronology so that we might understand who this Jesus is and why we must follow him. And so as we, we think back to that, we see here in the context of chapter 16, that it is connected to chapter 15. In chapter 15, and we see this in chapter 14, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He is making that long journey for the feast, but not only for the feast, but he's making that journey to fulfill what he was called to do, to suffer, to die, and to rise again. And to push back on the popular campaign that is coming around that uh, the uh, football season and with the, uh, the uh, playoff, Jesus, the campaign of Jesus gets it. Jesus gets us. That is just the most horrible concept of the Jesus that we find in Scripture. The fact that Jesus came and gets us. No, Jesus came and died for sinners. Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. And so as we see this in the context of the previous chapters, 
Jesus here, in the form of parables, in the form of teaching, is calling people to repentance. He's calling them to action. And so we've seen um, in the Gospel of Luke prior, uh, the, all of the signs and wonders and the miracles of Jesus. They testify to who he is. But primarily, his teaching ministry is so important as well, because his teaching ministry is primarily seen in the use of parables. Now, for those of you who are going through the reading of Burkhoff's uh, hermeneutics once a month, we've learned a lot about different figures of speech that are used in Scripture. Hyperbole, which is, which is a language that's just kind of stretched, when we think about parables, the use of parables, and how they, they bring out a message, here we find in this parable, as in any other parable, the call to repentance, the call to action, the call to following Jesus. And so we don't want to miss that in this parable of what is called the unjust steward. Here in chapter 16, there are two parables. We see this first parable, and then we see this section uh, related to the Pharisees and scribes, which we'll see next week. And then we see that final parable of the rich man and Lazarus. But all of this is set in a context of how we use our wealth <clears throat> and our possessions to the glory of God. And so we find here as we look at the occasion of this particular passage, that we're called to generosity, that we're not to be like the rich fool, that we're not to be like the, the fool who prides himself in his possessions, but we are to be like those who are generous in their use of those things that God has given to us. And so by way of introduction as we think of the occasion of this text, I want to remind us that in all of the things that commentators may say about whether the steward was justified in being uh, unwise, the point of the passage is that the unjust steward is for the purpose of illustration. The main point of the passage is the action of the steward, in verse 8, is commended by God. He doesn't commend what he's doing there with the, the debtors. He's not commending that. He's simply saying that the Lord, or the Master, commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. And it is that point of verse 8, that Jesus uses to apply the application of this passage before us. It is, as I've said, a call to generosity. And so as we think of the occasion here, we see there in verse 1 that Jesus said unto his disciples. Jesus now speaks primarily to his disciples. In those parables in chapter 15, who's he speaking to? Scribes and Pharisees. To the religious people. And now he's speaking to the disciples and calling them to a life of stewardship. And so there are two key players here 
in the unfolding of this um, passage, there was a certain rich man. We don't know who he was. Some would surmise that this is not a real story. It's just made up. I think that's preposterous. Jesus doesn't just randomly come up with a story. But he uses life truth from these things to show that he calls us to a life of obedience. And so we see the rich man as one of the players in this parable. And then we see his steward. I think steward is the more right terminology that is used in the authorized translation. He is one who is given a stewardship. He is one who has given a charge. And so it is addressed to the disciples. Again, we see the connection to the previous chapter. You notice the younger brother wasted gifts that God entrusted to him. The older brother wasted his gifts. And here we see that in the opening verse, it says that the rich man, who was the master, had accused the steward of wasting his goods. And so that's the point of the passage that we don't want to miss. It's addressed to these disciples. But here we see he's been entrusted with goods that he has wasted. And then verse 2, he says he called him, as a master called the steward, and said, how is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Now, these are sobering words. And as I was wrestling through this passage, because this is a very difficult passage, and, and all of the commentaries and works I consulted, I found one rare work that was the most helpful. Perhaps you've heard of it. Perhaps you've not heard it. But J.C. Ryle's thoughts on the Gospel of Luke. Right there in his commentary, it makes more plain sense than anything else. But when we think about a steward, what do we mean by a steward? Well, the Bible teaches that every man is a steward. Man was created in the image and likeness of God. The first man, Adam, was a steward within the garden. He was given rule, authority over that garden where the Lord had placed him. He was called to rule and to do what God had asked him to do. And so the first Adam, he was a steward. He was entrusted with the care of the earth. Man under Adam is a steward. Every man and woman, whether they are wicked and sinful or whether they are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, are stewards because they have been given something for which they have charge over. You know, some people desire to have charge over a city or um, a municipality. Perhaps they have, have some desire to be in charge of, of some, some office or some position of authority. But you know what? Everyone is given charge over something. What has God given you? If you are to think of stewardship, 
in the context of one who has been given charge to rule over something. Now, of course, the passage has to do primarily with the use of wealth. But what has God given to you that you are a steward of? You are a steward of gifts. Perhaps God has given you natural gifts. Perhaps he's given you talents. He's certainly given you time and resources. He has given all things at our disposal. Perhaps a student, perhaps some here, may have great knowledge and understanding of a subject. And yet there's a tendency in all of us to become lazy or lax. Oh, I got this. I know this. Not using the time and the gifts wisely. And so we find here that the uh, master calls the steward to account for what he has wasted. He's been given charge, whatever the, the situation is, he's been given charge over that which he has been made a steward. Remember the old movie theaters? When you walk into the movie theater and you sit down, somebody would escort you. They were called a steward. You go on an airplane, the people that you think are just there to serve you drinks for snacks, they're stewards. And so they have a charge. They have a responsibility. And so here in this parable, we find that the steward is called to give an account. And in the context of this passage, the steward begins to think about those sobering words, for thou mayest be no longer a steward. He was not faithful in what God had given to him, so now it's going to be taken away. And then he, he begins to come up with this concoction of going to those debtors who owed the master, worthy, noble thing. He goes to them and thinks, well, when I'm put out of my stewardship, perhaps they'll take me in. And so he goes to each one of his master's debtors. And he says, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He says, okay, take your bill and write out 50. And he says the same thing to the other. He has a, an a hundred measures of wheat, take by bill and write for score. And so as this steward has entrusted this man, and he's already charged him with perhaps a negligence, we find he's in a dilemma. What am I going to do when I come to the time that I'm put out of my stewardship? And so he resolves, resolves to deal with this in what he thinks is a wise and fashionable way. And so he comes and he says, I will go and give uh, less debt to each one of these men. When you think about verses 5 and 6, the oil that this first man, the debt of the first man, he has 875 gallons of oil. His debt would cost what was equivalent to five years' salary. 
The second man has a, thou, a thousand bushels of wheat. That is about 3,900 liters, which is about 12 to 15 years of salary. So both of these men have a huge debt that they can never pay. And he knows they cannot pay that. So he goes and he cuts their debt in half. And they're like, wow, this is amazing. And so when we come to the end of the parable in verse 8, says the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely for the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. The steward out of desperation prepares for his future. He sees his future as uncertain. He's 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 nervous. What, what's going to happen? And the point of the passage, and we see this as we come to verse 8, is that in desperation sometimes we prepare for the future in very unwise and very uncalculating ways. This all has a benefit of spiritual blessing. But here as we think about the main lesson of the parable, we see here that Jesus calls his disciples to prepare wisely for their future through repentance and faith. And so as we think about the context of that, every man being a steward, we must ask ourselves, what kind of steward are we? Do we waste the gifts that are given to us? And do we scatter them unprofitably? Do we use our gifts for ill or carnal means? Some men fight against God with the very gifts He has given them. God has given some wisdom, power, intellect, and wealth. We see this even among godless rulers, those within our own culture, they fight against God by using the very gifts He's given to them. And in the context of this passage, Jesus says there in verse 8, you have done wisely. He commends him for his wise investment. Now remember, the Lord in verse 8 is not Jesus. Some would propose that Jesus is commending this unjust steward. Jesus isn't commending him. Jesus is simply telling the story of this master or Lord who commends him for his unjust stewardship. Jesus uses this to show that the children of this world are wiser than the children of light. The children of light is reference to those who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as they are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are to be wise in the same sense that they prepare, that they're wise in their use of the resources and talents that the Lord has given to them. And so that's where the difficulty of this passage lies. Because Jesus takes this parable to show, by way of illustration, that we are to be even wiser 
and the children of the world. Jesus calls us to be what? Shrewd as serpents and harmless as doves in a crooked and evil generation. And so how are we to be wise like a serpent? How are we to be wise in the management of those things that God has given to us? Jesus further states here, by the way of the application, that we are to make friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, you may receive unto yourself that everlasting reward. Here we find uh, perhaps a confusing verse of Scripture. But Jesus here is stating that the mammon of unrighteousness simply refers to wealth or money that is used by men. Mammon is always used in the Gospels to refer to money, to refer to wealth. And so when Jesus refers his disciples to making friends with mammon of unrighteousness, he's not calling them to be friends with filthy money, with money that is used for illicit means. He wants them to avoid that. Some translations say it's dishonest wealth. That is not the case. It's not dishonest wealth. It's not evil money. But money can be used in lawful ways. Perhaps you've never thought about going to the bank and taking out an amount of cash that you will use and never think of the fact that that money has probably passed through a hundred hands in that day. Where's that money been? It's been to all kinds of places. It's been perhaps used in transactions that are not lawful. But when Jesus refers to mammon of unrighteousness, he's referring to that mammon or that money that is used for means of worldly needs. It is not dishonest, it's not dishonest or evil. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 tells us that the love of money is the root of all evil. And so he says, use the money. Use the wealth that God has given you to make friends so that when you fail, that is when you die, that is when you come to the end of your life, they may receive you into the everlasting habitations. This is the problematic verse of this passage. He says to use your money, your possessions, to serve People who will receive you into everlasting habitations. Part of our reward as disciples of Jesus Christ for our faithful stewardship is that heavenly gratitude of other believers who have been served by our stewardship. Perhaps there are examples, I can think of examples in my own life of people who've had a great effect on me. Remember, many years ago, uh, Dr. Michael Melton, who officiated our wedding, uh, was a part of a church plant with him. He had uh, a great effect on my early coming to the Reformed faith. 
many people that we can think of whom the Lord has used to draw us to the Lord. So Jesus says, make friends of the mammon. Make friends of the money that has been given to you that you might receive that reward that awaits you. And so as we think about the generosity that he calls us to here, we are to dispense our stewardship faithfully to the glory of God. That is the point of verse 10. And so in the dispensing of that stewardship, there's a wise and there's a faithful dispensing of what God has given to us. What right end is given that we might walk in the master's house? As we dispense our stewardship, we are concerned about our master's credit. We are to be concerned with our master's will, with our master's honor, and our master's command. We are to be wise, not according to worldly wisdom, but according to heavenly wisdom. James chapter 3, verse 17 reminds us, that the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without impartiality and without hypocrisy. So when we think stewardship, stewardship begins with that wise and faithful carrying out of all the duties to which the Lord our God has given to us. The Lord Jesus Christ gives a command here. He calls them to faithful stewardship. He says, if you will not be faithful in the unrighteous mammon, then who will give you charge over true riches? That is the riches of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is never harsh. He's never rash in his commands, but he's always clear. He's always deliberate. And so as we think about being wise and being faithful, there are a number of things that we could draw from this passage. How do we use our time? How much time do we waste in sin, things that are unprofitable? Perhaps an unprofitable talk. This is one point of application I think is so important for us to understand. Because it's so easy for us to waste the time that God has given to us. You're, you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, I got this done. It's taken me this amount of hours. And think about, I got this done and it's taken me this amount of hours. And there's how many hours left in the day? And I think sometimes we, we all manage time differently. But I think we have to be careful. And, and as I worked through this passage, I thought, this is so important to understand. How do we as stewards use our time? There are many things that we can uh, do that are a waste of time. It doesn't have to be necessarily sinful. But there are ways that we can waste time in sinful and unprofitable habits. And the question comes to mind is how do we use our time? 
or soul, your life will be required of thee if you do not use the time that the Lord has given to you. There are talents that he's given to us, natural gifts and skills, mental capacity. Some have great mental capacity. Some can, can recite very well from memory. Some have great physical strength. Some have great wealth and earthly possessions. The sad thing is that many who have great wealth, in the end, will leave it to worldly and ungodly causes. Some will give their wealth to humanitarian causes. Some will give their wealth to... to um, causes of social justice and socialism and communism and all of those things. But in the end, the man that uses his talents wisely will leave his talents at the end to leave a spiritual legacy. We need to take an account of the inventory that God has given to us. One of the great blessings of being married to my wife is every so often she goes on this binge. we got to go through this. It's okay. It's been in the box for six years. No, we got to go through this. So we'll go through it. She likes to manage everything, whether it's small or great, likes to manage that. And I think that is a good thing. We can oftentimes become clutter bugs. But how do we use the talents that God has given to us? They think of the people dispersed in southern Italy, not having daily clothing, not knowing where their next meal is going to come from. And yet we have all of these possessions at our disposal, at our disposal. And how do we use them? Have you ever thought that you as a steward have influence? over regions, over territories, and over perhaps nations. Mothers have a great influence. Grandparents have great influence. Civil magistrates have great influence. Pastors and missionaries have great influence. The old adage that the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world, there is a lot of truth in that. Because that child that you raise from an infant may one day have a great position of influence. But we live in a day when the influence particularly of a mother is so totally disregarded. Oh, you're a mother. Oh, you're a stay-at-home mom. And yet a mother has the greatest influence over her children. And she does not know what may happen to those children. Perhaps there may be some that will come, become pastors or missionaries. And so you think of the influence of a mother. Think of the influence of a father. Think of the influ influence of grandparents. I had the influence of a grandmother on my mother's side that, as a grow, growing up Roman Catholic, went to their little community church every time we were there in the summer. 
And that is my first recollection of ever hearing the reading of the scriptures and the preaching of God's word. And the pastor was not trained. The pastor had never been to, been to college. He worked for Campbell Soup Company. But he was a preacher. And he would take the word of God and preach it. And that had an effect on my life. I remember even unto this day. And so we never know the influence that we will have on our children or our grandchildren. What influence that we have in the station which God has given to us. The point of the text is that if we do not use our stewardship wisely, it can certainly be taken from us. John Boys, a 17th century Anglican bishop, says this, All of us are stewards and disposers of some goods of God. Clergymen are stewards of God's house, the church. All magistrates are stewards of the common house, which is the public commonwealth. Masters are stewards of their own private houses. And all men are clerks and stewards of the private closet of their consciences. And as I thought on that, I'm thinking, I have stewardship of what is going on here. As Martin Luther says, I can't prevent the bird flying over me from landing in my hair. But I can swish him away. I can keep him from nesting in my hair. And so we are called, he says, to be stewards of the private closet of our consciences. There is none greater, he says, than a steward to the king of kings. We are all called to be servants to Christ, committed with the goods that are disposed at his will, hired to labor, as he has commanded us to do, and to use the wealth and the resources that God has given us for his honor and his glory. We are to use wisdom in how we use the talents that God has given to us. We are called to act wisely and prepare for the future. Most people think that by preparing for the future, they just need to be worried about making sure that they have their funeral prearrangements made and that they have uh, things set up in case they uh, die before their children and these kinds of things. But the point of the passage is not the laying up of earthly treasures. But the point of the passage is to act wisely as we prepare for eternity. Perhaps that may involve um, making sure that the resources we have are used wisely when we're gone. We will not have control over it, but we are to make sure that we use that wisely. We are to be generous in our giving to others. We use a word of caution here. Generosity doesn't mean that we just throw money to the wind. 
But generosity means that we use the gifts and the talents that God has given us for the benefit, the glory of man. This shrewd steward, in preparation for his future, acted in unjust and unwise ways. He makes provision for his own future by mismanaging his stewardship and the resources God has entrusted to him. Friends, one of the difficult things of this passage was to remind me that all of our stewardship will one day end. Your stewardship will come at an end. My stewardship will come at an end. And we don't know when that is. When young men, 20, 30 years of age, are dying unexpectedly. When people in their 40s are dying of cancer. We can't assume, oh, I've got 20 more years. How often, and I did this more when I was younger than now when I'm older, but when I was younger, I used to think, oh, wow, I got 30 years. And, you know, sometimes in our minds we think, oh, I've got all the time in the world. And yet 5, 10, 15, 20 years goes by. What have we done with that time? How have we used it? And so as we think about the application of this passage, Jesus says, if you've not been faithful in what little things the Lord has given to you, he will not make you steward over great things. So there's a call to faithfulness in our stewardship. There's a call to wholehearted service. To the Lord Jesus Christ. No servant, verse 13, can serve two masters. He'll hate the one, love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And so as he brings this to a close, he says, In your stewardship, you need to give yourself wholeheartedly to the master who calls you to exercise stewardship according to his will and to his honor and to his glory. When Jesus talks about true riches there in verse 11, talks about those riches that are laid up in heaven. We can lay up our wealth and all the things of this world we need to prepare as stewards for those things that are yet to come. There are many children here. Perhaps you think like I did. Oh, I got plenty of time. There's lots of time to think about starting this or that. But I would urge you to think about the fact that the call to following Jesus means that you are faithful in whatever God has given to you. And for some of you, you've taken up farming, you've taken up uh, caring for sheep, or perhaps it's caring for kittens, or perhaps it's caring for a dog. Those are little things, but I think if you learn how to be wise in handling those things, then you can learn to be wise in how you handle other things. 
But the question this morning for all of us is, are we shrewd like this steward in the things of the kingdom of God? Are we wise when it comes to the things of the world? And are we making ourselves friends of those resources that we might use it for the call of the gospel? When Pastor David asked me if, you know, there would be any um, thought of helping with raising of funds, he has to raise his own funds, which I think is a disadvantage for a missionary. I'm not a proponent of it, but it is what it is. Um, when he thought about raising funds, he says he's got to raise funds by the fall. And I'm thinking, here is gospel stewardship. Giving resources to help plant a church in Italy among Arabs, among Sikhs, among those who worship false gods. Here is a call to stewardship to use the resources that friends may come into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and have that eternity with the Lord. And so perhaps there's a way that we can share through the proclaiming of the gospel and seeing the advancement of God's kingdom in ways that we've never seen before. But I do trust that this parable is a help and a benefit because it is a very difficult parable. But again, we want to see in the context of this as we will continue to see, the Christians are called to be generous. And there are no more people that should show generosity than those who are called by Jesus Christ to use their wealth to the glory of God. We oftentimes think of trustees and those who have a job as a trustee. But every day, each one of you are trustees, whether it's of your home, whether it's of your job, whether it is of schooling. Perhaps you're in college. You're a steward of the time you use, of the resources that you use. If you're an employer, even within your home, husbands and wives must be faithful stewards as they care for their children. And we are all called to that faithful stewardship in whatever the Lord Jesus Christ calls us to do. So the call here is to repentance. Perhaps we need to look at our own hearts and see, you know, I'm, I'm not careful in my time. I'm not careful in the management of the things that God has given to me. Perhaps those wasted hours and minutes and years are things that have laid up in my heart a sin that easily entangles me. And we don't often see it because it's so subtle. But in the time that God gives us, what do we do with that? The reading of Scripture and in prayer and meditation, these are things we need to consider. And as we think about the fact that so often we fail, as stewards, 
we have the reminder that the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our servant, who is our steward, has come to minister grace and mercy unto us. And if we have failed, if we have been unwise in our stewardship, then we cast ourselves upon his mercy. We plead that he would grant us repentance for the sake of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we do come and thank Thee this morning for the reminder through this parable of the importance of generosity and using those things for Your glory that You have given to us. Lord, we confess that we have all been unfaithful in our stewardship, that there are times when we have not given thought to our use of time or money or resources. Perhaps even for some here this morning, they've used their days and weeks in, in ungodly and unholy living. And we plead, O Lord, for thy mercies, that you would take this word and cause us to, to see how we measure up. May we, like the disciples, come to understand the importance of repenting of those old things, repenting of how we've used our time and resources before, and use these things for the glory of our God. Lord, we pray that we would have gratitude for the mercies that you've granted unto us. We pray that out of gratitude we might receive that disciple's reward and that we might see the influence on those generations yet to come. Lord, bless this word to the benefit of our souls, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.